Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, joining me on today's show is Matt Goff, who is Director of Innovation from Mace Group. I picked up a phrase from another developer several years ago, which was to follow the money. And in that case, uh, the developer concerned was monitoring where the smart institutional investors were going and to follow their lead. Well, today is an opportunity to be a little bit like that, therefore, as Matt represents a £2 billion international consultancy and construction company for us to listen into and to follow if we, if we so choose. Not only was he raising my own awareness, for example, of a 25% skills leakage over the next 10 years and a government drive towards improving productivity, including the manufacturing of construction, There were some other insights that uh, Matt uh, shared throughout our discussion. So let's have a listen in to hear the rest of them then. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Hi everybody, Uh, another episode of the Property Voice podcast and uh, another episode where we're exploring the theme of prop tech or property technology and today, you know, I'm very pleased to uh, be exploring construction technology, really, um, as a sort of subtopic of that. We might drift a little bit beyond that as a general scope. But I'm very pleased to have with me today uh, Matt or Matthew Goff from uh, from Mace, uh, Director of Innovation. M- Matt, would you prefer Matt or Matthew? I'm a Matt, please. You're a Matt. Great. Well, Matt, thanks a lot for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I'm I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you about uh, this area. Um, Perhaps you might like to kick us off and just give a little bit of context about who you are and what you do at MACE so we've got a frame of reference. Would that be okay? Of course. Thanks, Richard. So um, I am, as you point out, our Director of Innovation at MACE. And for those that don't know MACE, we are an international construction and consultancy company. Um, We're one of the UK's top 10 contractors now, um, and we have a footprint across the globe. That means we're involved in what we say is some of the world's most complex construction projects. And we're a £2 billion business, and we build big projects. And my role really within the company is about helping us to transition to the next evolution of the construction industry as we see it. There is a lot of technological innovation, um, either at the point of readiness or soon to be ready to deploy within the construction industry that will help us to be smarter, faster, and more efficient. And, you know, it's a fascinating time for the industry. And my role is very much about helping the business and the industry at large to really benefit from what that opportunity might be. Sounds good. And I think, you know, a lot of maybe some people listening to this might be thinking, well, uh, an international, you know, uh, multidisciplined consultancy and, and developer, you know, construction company, what's that got to do with me? But I think actually uh, it's got everything to do with uh, with people listening because uh, you're at the leading edge probably 
um, of what's going on, you're you're exploring and utilizing new technologies and actually implementing them. So I think uh, there's a nice bridge there between uh, what you're doing with multi-million pound projects on an international scale, uh, which I know spans you know commercial and residential projects to to what maybe some of our listeners who are investors in and smaller developers might be thinking about so i think this it is highly relevant and we can learn a lot that's my point i talk about following the money i think we can learn a lot by talking to people like you matt so i i guess um maybe just to start the conversation rather than me just asking specific questions what what sort of um trends are you observing currently um in in sort of construction technology which is sort of fairly new compared to where it was sort of 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, maybe? Yeah, I might start somewhere different, actually, Richard. So, okay, you know, yes, just fine. thinking about how what I do relates to um, your listenership and audience, you know, we are looking at the minute at um, a renewed industrial strategy from the government, right? So um, government have identified the need to improve productivity, which is essentially proving the rate and pace at which people are um, delivering output um, in order to improve um, family wealth um, and wages, et cetera. And one of the areas that they've deemed you know, best suited to improve productivity is through the construction industry. Um, and if you believe the stats, you know, we, we work in an industry where in the UK, over the past two decades, we haven't been able to improve our productivity. So we don't deliver any more for the money now than we were doing 20 years ago. And, um, you know, the, 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 what government are intending to do over the course of the next four years is, is to make some um, very sort of high level and um, interventions into the industry in order to drive improvements. And I think that's as relevant for a company like Mace as it is for you know, local developers, local house builders, and the construction industry at large. And it's an opportunity that we should be all trying to grab hold of together, I think. Okay. So what sort of ideas are coming out of that? I agree that um, productivity has sort of stagnated. Uh, and I guess the cue is people are looking for um, utilizing technology perhaps um, to improve uh, productivity. What, what sort of things are we're likely to see falling out of that agenda. Yeah. So the first thing is um, there will be R&D funding available, right? So if we want to try new and innovative technologies or new ways of building things, um, then you can apply for um, at least match funding. In fact, if you're SMEs, you can apply for up to 70% of funding to allow you to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's something which is the, the government is actively trying to engage local SMEs um, in order to drive you know, successful business um, development through startups uh, and new ventures. So that's relevant to all. Um, and the, you know, the, the, what, what, what else is relevant is that it's an opportunity to reset some of the challenges that we have. You know, we all know that we have challenges with the planning process. And we all know that we have challenges and regulation codes that could be a bit simpler. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's time to really, for the construction industry in its totality to find its voice and to really start to shape something which makes us match fit, not just to deliver the housing demands of the UK, but, you know, potentially how we can explore and take that expertise elsewhere. 
That's really, you know, very, that's a massive topic, isn't it? Because I think, you know, if you just take planning as, as one of those, um, that pro you can argue there needs to be some fairly significant, if not radical change. Um, if, because the challenge we have is building enough units for people to live in to meet the demand. And, um, yes. you know, historically, we're running behind schedule quite significantly. And um, part, part, you know, there's a number of reasons for that. One, one reason is planning, the planning process. But it is kind of, uh, it's politically sensitive, <laughs> to say the least. And also, um, from a community point of view, there's a lot of, uh, you know, whilst people want homes, they don't want them necessarily in their back garden, do they? They want, like, you know, lots of development going on, on around them. Um, and then, of course, you've got the planning rules and regulations, which have been in place for quite some time. So it's a quite a big topic, isn't it? It's quite a big challenge, that one. Very much so. I mean, everyone's got a different stat, haven't they, for how many houses we need um, and why we're in a crisis. The one that we use is, and um, we should be building 250,000 homes a year. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we, we very much aren't. I think it's around the 100, 120,000. Um, so... You know, there's a huge shortage, um, and that's generating big challenges within the UK market. Um, people don't want them built in their backyards, but equally, you know, the, I do believe that um, we're starting to see some changes being mooted to planning processes that will allow us to speed that up and expedite that. Um, and we've also got to be considering about what the homes are that we should be building. So, you know, there's a big market, there's a big sort of gap and, and need for more supply but when you look at the statistics around what do people want you know I, I read something the other day that said 75% of people do not want to own a standard new build home um, and you know that's a really fascinating challenge isn't it because it's not just about getting the planning so that we know that we can go and build but what are we going to build in the first place that's a really interesting topic, actually. Did you did they answer what they do want if they don't want a standard new build home? <laughs> um, I think the, the, where I saw the stat was in relation to um, custom build. So people having the ability to influence their own um, products and uh, design. And it's something that uh, I'm no expert on this, but um, the, the conversation we were having was, in certainly within some some of the kind of more developed European countries like Germany um, and, the, and the Nordics, you know, there, there's a much greater supply of housing that is uh, essentially custom built. So you can buy a shell and then you can configure that shell as to your requirements and your demands. Um, and we all know from home ownership, right, the real joy is in having the keys to your own castle. And if you're able to design and build that, or perhaps not build it, but design and have that installed yourself, then it seems to be a bit more of an attractive offer. Yes, and, and would that lend itself to things like, you know, smaller one-off self-build type development rather than maybe large-scale volume um, housing developments or apartment developments even? Or do you think, do you I think, think so. it can apply to both? Yeah. Is there not something, I mean, you may be closer to this than me, but is there not some changes in planning local authority regulations that um, big developments now have to have an, an area dedicated to custom build space as such? 
I'm not aware of that personally, Matt, to be honest. I'm obviously more aware of, you know, obviously Sadiq Khan in, in London is very keen to push the affordable housing agenda, um, pushing that quite hard, actually. Um, I'm not, I've not heard of it specifically as far as custom build. That would be good. Um, I was chatting to a small developer just the other day, actually, and he was talking about this sort of thinking in, in Germany, for example, and when there's sort of new uh, development land being made available around towns and cities, that they automatically allocate something like 10%, um, he was saying 10% of that area for self-build, which would lead itself into, you know, non-standard types of housing. Um, but he, he was sort of decrying that as, you know, that's progressive in Germany, but we don't really have it here. But um, I'm personally not aware of it. It would be a good thing. Maybe it's in the housing white yeah. paper buried there somewhere, I don't know, but... Um, I haven't heard it being implemented as formal uh, law, let's say, or, or formal planning policy, but I might be slightly behind the times. Have you heard that? Uh, I definitely heard a, a rumour of it. I mean, there's a paper about everything nowadays, isn't there? So I, I might be wrong. But, I mean, just, just fast forward in a bit, you know, the, having looked at the some of the products and things that you can get from the European markets, you know, Germany in particular, it's incredible the quality and standard of the housing that you can buy as a prefabricated unit. You know, they're sort of beautifully finished and really sort of easy to configure and make your own. Um, and I think that's a really fascinating opportunity for us here in the UK because I'm not sure we're quite um, operating at the same pace right now. Yeah, and I think this is, you know, you're probably queuing a, a trend of, you know, uh, alternative building methods, maybe. So, for example, uh, the, you know, an element of modular prefabrication, um, but with maybe some customization elements thrown in, um, you know, rather than just, you know, building to a, a standard specification, 1,000 homes with, you know, obviously you're going to have maybe two beds, three beds, four beds, but all of those two beds and three beds are pretty much the same. Um, so the idea being that you have this shell, but then you can customize and adapt. You actually see, there obviously sounds like there's demand for that. Um, it's whether we can actually make it work. Uh, I guess one of, the, um, one of the other limitations of making this work is the economics. Um, so is, is the, does prefabrication help with the economics, for example? Yeah, I think that we will start to um, drive the price point down of, of prefabrication because it just seems to be there's so much more of it at present. Um, you know, in the uh, post-war, you know, modular and prefab was the way to build. Um, and it was the way to build because it was uh, faster and it was more cost-effective. And admittedly, the quality hasn't um, been proven over the lifespan, but we've learned those lessons and hopefully we'll do things differently this time around. Um, but it, it feels like, you know, the, so I guess two points on this really, isn't there? Um, what I like about the custom build stuff is that it's prefabricated to an extent that you can still have a customizable product. And the challenge for a long time in terms of market adoption for prefab is nobody wants to buy the same product. And it can be quite dull, right? So you go to prefabricated high-rise, um, when everything is set out and laid out the same, it lacks a little bit of pizzazz. And, and you know, people want to buy something that is unique and feels like their own. 
Um, so I do think that that is an important part of prefab and modular and where it goes next. And mm -hmm. um, the other side of it is that for a long time in the construction industry, you know, we've been talking about prefabrication and factory production as being a way of um, improving productivity um, for ages. Um, but we've never really been able to unlock the benefits over the last 20 years. Um, and that's been a number of reasons. One of the main ones has been about client pool. So for us, you know, working on, on major schemes, if a client isn't necessarily that concerned about how things are built, they won't be willing to invest the time and effort required in order to put the engineering and designing up front to allow you to prefabricate or modularize buildings. Um, but we're really seeing that change at the minute. You know, we talked about the government sector deal earlier that a big part of that is they want to unlock what they call manufacturing of construction. Um, so there'll be a lot of R&D money going into that, which will hopefully improve lots of products and, and access for the market. Um, and we're also seeing a trend of um, government bodies essentially specifying that things have to be manufactured. That, again, is helping to fuel and catalyze the industry. So if you look at schools now, pretty much all the new school estates that are being built are being built with some form of modular building um, element in them. And then we've also got the private sector moving in that direction as well. So all of the big house builders are now starting to look at um, how they manufacture and produce products. You know, it's been in the news recently, Barclay Homes have invested in a big factory. Um, I believe that Barrett are doing the same. Langer Rourke, uh, you know, sort of been first mover in terms of their um, factory that they've set up around cross-laminated timber products. And, you know, all of these things happening in tandem hopefully means that in terms of this, this cycle and the next cycle, we actually start to see some change in terms of how the building industry in the UK is facing up and uh, achieving the benefit of prefabrication. I think you're absolutely right, I and mean, it can be a slow-moving uh, pace of change in the industry. But if you've got, uh, you need to have some drivers for change. So I think, for example, if if the government is specifying that we want to see certain types of building methods or, or alternative uh, materials and custom build and that kind of thing going into their own projects, then that's going to be a driver. Um, I was I was intrigued with what you said about some of the uh, house builders uh, setting up the factories. I was aware of people like uh, LNG, the insurer, um, you know, getting involved in and having a factory. I wasn't so aware of some of the actual developers doing it. So it does sound to me like that the change is coming. So um, we might see it as tip of iceberg, let's say, at the moment. But um, when, you know, once uh, once we get below the waterline, we'll start to see it expand hopefully a lot more frequently. Um, but how do you get from 100, 125, 150,000 house, new house bills to 250? That's that's part of the challenge we face, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it's, it, it's also about, I mean, let's not kid ourselves, right? The private housing developers uh, control the supply anyway um, in order to ensure there's demand. So um, they, they play the game as well. Um, but everybody faces the same, same or similar challenges around um, you know, materials have been getting more expensive 
Um, we lack the skills that we really need within the industry in order to drive things at the pace that they need to happen. And we've got an aging workforce, so we work a lot with the likes of the CITB, etc. You know, we're forecasting that over the next 10 years, we might lose 25% of the labour workforce in the UK through retirement or through the impacts of Brexit. And, you know, these are big challenges that we're facing. And if we're only delivering half of the housing supply that we should be at the minute, you take 25% of people out to do it in 10 years, and you're facing some real problems. So absolutely we need to be thinking differently and we need to be accelerating and catalyzing this change well you make a point there and we had a quick chat about it before we started recording about the skills and you know if you're losing 25 percent of the workforce you're also losing you know by definition 25 percent of the experience or skill set of traditional uh, people working in the construction industry so uh, specialist trades builders carpenters etc um and equally, just some of the conversations we've been having around, you know, new technologies being deployed would suggest maybe a shift in skill set anyway. So what, what sort of things are you seeing that uh, maybe you, you sound like you've got the, the bigger picture? What sort of impact is this going to have, if you like, on people delivering, um, you know, services, contractors, et cetera, in the building and, and construction industry? Are they going to be reskilled? Are they going to change? What sort of skills are going to be required in the future, do you think? Yeah, so we forecast, I mean, we look at kind of 12 technological innovations that are going to have the impact or the things that, um, the, the things that might, I guess, really kind of change or revolutionise the industry at large. So, that's things such as, you know, from a, uh, very much an IT perspective, you have things like artificial intelligence and automation, et cetera, which are going to happen and um, we can benefit from. Um, through to very kind of tangible physical things such as advance of new building material or drone technology or robotics. Um, and, you know, some of this is, in terms of readiness, I don't think anything's really going to change overnight for us as an industry. Um, but there's definitely trends and things to watch that you know are going to benefit us all in the long term. And um, so we talk about you know the industry needs to be essentially um, future ready, right? We need to be watching these technologies and thinking about how we can adopt them and building the skill set in order to adopt them now. Because if we ignore it and go for the old head in the sand approach um, unfortunately we, there will be someone else that comes along that will do it for us um, we look at you know at, at our level we look at the um, clients you know and the investors and what's going on within that market and we're now seeing some of the big technology companies you know the likes of Google Microsoft Facebook are all essentially building their own cities and homes and mm. um, because they're we want to unlock uh, a new way of, of doing this, really, of realizing property or real estate. Um, and we think there's a better way of doing it. So, um, and they're absolutely going to be adopting technology. So you look at that kind of trend, you see the tech companies coming into the industry. Um, what they lack is the insight, the data, and the understanding of how to do it, which we as a traditional industry hold firm. Um, but we can't ignore it, right? We have to be preparing ourselves for change. Um, so we're doing, again, 
weekend we did a lot of work with the sorts of bodies and training bodies and government around how can we start to prepare our future workforce uh, in order to um, really benefit from industry 4.0 that kind of you know everybody's job role is going to change in some respects right so amazon are not far from being able to deliver that last mile logistics which is kind of things going from a logistics hub to your doorstep by radically different ways you know it might be an automated vehicle dropping it off it might be a drone if that's the case what's the impact for us as a builder when you need to get materials onto site right when you need to be placed in the order that you won't be going to travis perkins anymore there'll be a very different way of um, getting materials etc and you know again it's not going to change tomorrow but we really need to be planning for these sorts of things in order to make advantage of them I agree with you. And I think, you know, it might be less bricklayers and more technicians type of thing. You know, the mix of skills that you need, you know, in, in, a, in a sort of new build development starting to shift. I was, you know, talking uh, just yesterday, someone about smart home technology, for example. And yeah. you know, there's a lot of, you know, you need you need to sort of backbone data connection, you know, services there uh, in the first place. That means, you know, cat, cat five cabling or LAN cabling, you know, installed in the building. So hang on a minute. Well, that wasn't, you know, you just needed one access point in the past. Now you're talking about laying, you know, running cables to all sorts of uh, all, all ends of the building. So uh, then you're talking about maybe not black boxes, but integrated systems and hidden, you know, maybe wireless technologies and this sort of thing. So um, it's, it's shifting the, the emphasis away from just the bricky and the chippy uh, to maybe the technician and the sort of and the, the programmer, um, you know, is being involved in construction. So I can see that skill set mix. But um, what I was yeah. really, what I was really thinking as you were talking, and you can come back on that by any means. But I, I was just thinking to myself that the large scale developers sounds like they are making some moves with uh, some examples you've given. But is there actually an opportunity for small developers to be more agile and just get on with some of this now? Uh, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's that first mover challenge, isn't it? You, you don't want to be um necessarily investing too much in technology which isn't quite ready for adoption um, but the and robotics is a grand example of that right so you talk about the bricky and the chippy um you can find videos on youtube now of robot bricklayers right and they are essentially bits of kit that are now starting to move out of a factory environment into um what you might call a, a you know the outdoors and moving out of the factory and onto the site and starting to be able to perform some you know very manual and heavy lifting tasks and um, but i for one wouldn't want to be purchasing one of those robots at the current prices that they're operating at because the technology is going to develop so quickly you know now is probably not the right time um and you, you know you'd, you'd always need to get you want to be early and you want to take advantage but you know there, there is a bit of a dose of reality salt with all of this um i think the interesting thing for us is particularly for kind of smaller developers it's like how can you be aware of the trends and take those things at the right time mm. um and, and you know <laughs> we've, we've been looking at wiring a lot we, we deliver a lot of residential right? and one of the really difficult things is about wiring homes 
um, and it's still done very traditionally. Um, but the reality is that you can build modular systems and sort of cable runs, etc. But they're still more challenging to install at this point in time, and you end up losing time, right? So the traditional um, electrician is is not really. They're, they're still in the lead as such, right? They're, they're the best way of doing it. But over the next four or five years, with this kind of government, with the likes of parking homes, looking at how you can modularize this sort of stuff, at some point, we should find a more effective and efficient way of doing that, rather than you know spending the half hour trying to bridge your wiring through floorboards and uh, certain sort of ducts, etc. And you want to be ready to make that happen when the opportunity arises, I think. Yeah, so I was chatting to one small developer um, from by, by comparison to, to Mace, but I was talking to, to one and he was um, he was previously doing uh, conversions, uh, commercial to residential conversions. And then he started yeah. to do some new build development, small plots. Uh, and, and, now, and his next wave is to look at um, you know, scaling up to larger developments, so large for him, but, you know, probably several thousand units a year uh, to become, right. you know, a small developer in, you know, a genuinely small developer, I suppose, if, uh, where you kind of start to make a difference. But he was looking at uh, using uh, modular um, uh, building, uh, prefabrication of modular building methods and, um, and, and alternative building materials like SIPs, for example. Um, mm. Structural insulated panels, uh, and and his key point was it just you can just put them up so much faster. You've got less time yeah. on site. You can construct and build units so much faster. Therefore, get through a high level of volume. So, how would he get from I don't know maybe a hundred or two hundred units a year, perhaps to something like a thousand or two thousand? And mm. that was his answer. So um, he's looking at doing that, but. Um, Equally, talking to another developer at the moment, those technologies exist mainly outside the UK. Um, you know, you talked already about Germany and the Nordics leading the way, and so you've got challenges with importing uh, the materials, which has the lead time. Um, uh, you know, in, in getting materials on site. But I think that it, we're on the cusp of that. You know, breakthrough. Um, I get your point about the robotics, the robots. Um, I think once you take a robot outside the sort of lab and put them on site, you know, they're not used to some of the environment and it might not work so well. And you've got the technological advances that you made. But I think things like uh, prefabrication is a genuine way in which, you know, people could adopt that and get more units built more quickly, which, by the way, feeds into the uh, the agenda that we need to, to fix, which is more houses. So that's kind of what I was thinking. A small developer might be more agile. They haven't got the bureaucracy they can just decide to go and do it. But I think you're also highlighting some of the other challenges, like there's the associated trays, like the electrical wiring, which maybe they've not fully considered. So yeah. uh, what's the balance, would you say? Um, you know, we don't want to go too bleeding edge with the technological developments, but are there things that are here and now which are probably ripe for uh, rolling out and adop adopting? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, one of the things that we have been developing um, a lot over the last few years is, is building information modeling. Right? So anybody who is designing anything nowadays should be thinking about doing it in 3D rather than 2D because the advantages are by digitizing your design process, um, you can do more. So you can test more options, more viability studies, etc. Um, for a much cheaper cost 
you can coordinate your design, you can make sure that you're going to build things that fit rather than things that clash. Um, and you can actually have a much greater and better way of communicating with anyone involved in the project, whether that's your customers, your stakeholders, uh, whether it's your trades that you're employing. Um, but, you know, it's kind of at industry level, certainly at the kind of main contractor level at which Mesoc operates, it's becoming business as usual. But we're seeing now a lot of more engagement with the kind of smaller developer community, etc. And the other thing that that unlocks, which I do think is kind of ready to go, you just need to find the right route to do it, is that if you've got your building model in and you can then start to use it about how you can improve the so that everybody knows what they're meant to be doing and when. Or, or if you want to be really clever, whether you're starting to introduce some form of augmented reality or virtual reality to allow people to really understand the products and construction processes that they're about to go and, and carry out. So this is one of those kind of technological innovations which is a bit closer than most. Right? We've, we've got AR capability on our phones if we've got a, a kind of relatively new iPhone or Android phone. Um, and you can use it to just be a lot clearer about the construction and design process that you're responsible for. Yeah, I, again, I had another conversation with someone who talked about some of these uh, technologies, uh, artificial and augmented, uh, sorry, virtual and augmented reality, and particularly useful in, in new builds. So to conceptualize, uh, help you to sell units off plan maybe a lot easier than, than it is now. So um, and getting a, a better feel for the design so everyone's clear on what it looks like rather than just being a 2D, uh, 2D, two-dimensional sketch to uh, a three-dimensional um, drawing. So I, that, that sounds like it makes a lot of sense. The other thing I just wanted to touch on briefly with you, Matt, um, is um, we kind of, I just made a reference to SIPs or structural insulated panels, but are you seeing alternative building materials that are coming through, which, you know, will make a difference and change the way we actually construct homes? Uh, so there's some big, um, you know, the, the sort of biosciences and advanced materials um, is a fascinating area. Um, things like graphene, you know, it, it, if industry makes that work, the opportunity to build higher performing, bigger, taller structures, and perhaps things that you can um, amend or, or, or alter over time. Um, it's stronger, it's lighter. It's more efficient, and but at the minute it's still in the laboratory and it's not really out on site. Um, we are, you know, so there's some interesting stuff going on with concrete. We do a lot of work in infrastructure. Self-healing concrete is a fascinating innovation whereby, you know, if cracks start to appear, then because of the way the material is built um, and designed, created, um, it will self-heal. Which massively improve life cycle um, and therefore stops all those pain in the backside challenges you have with concrete, whereby all of a sudden it's not waterproof anymore, and all your concrete, uh, all your steel starts um, eroding. So there are quite interesting innovations in this area. Um, I don't think that the traditional build of, you know, whether it's timber. Construction, I mean, lightweight steel frames, etc., are used a lot. I understand in, in sort of housing developments, and there's still a lot of lifespan in those. I think 
Mm-hmm. Challenges about, you know, as we've talked about many times this morning, how do we get more of them more quickly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I was thinking is um, probably we don't, we don't have a few more minutes actually of time. Uh, Recognise you need to shoot off and appreciate you giving the time. But um, in those few minutes, is, uh, is there anything else you kind of wanted to share with us, Matt, that we haven't really addressed already? Well, it's been a very interesting uh, conversation and it's definitely helped me contextualise some things. I, I think perhaps the one area that we didn't touch on uh, in quite as detail as we would normally do is really about the customer and the changing needs of the customer. So we talked about the fact that actually maybe people don't want to live in those kind of standard new build homes. But um, one of the real opportunities, I think, for us as an industry is understanding that changing customer need. So certainly within uh, London and the M25 and also the major kind of northern cities now, we're seeing a big push towards um, the private rented sector. Um, that is an impact or, or result of a trend where actually this concept of ownership and owning your own homes or cars or um, you know many other aspects of your life is changing. You know we don't buy CDs anymore. We just have a Spotify subscription, etc. Um, and it's really interesting in terms of where that takes the industry. I think over the next um, 20, 30 years, you know perhaps developers. And much more, you know, perhaps it's all buy to rent, who knows where it really kind of um, takes us. But just one sort of fact that I found out yesterday um, that, that comes back to your smart building point, really, Richard. But we've, we've been talking about student accommodation quite a bit recently. Um, and apparently, there is now proven that students are more interested in a high performing broadband connection than they are the utility connections for their water and gas. So if that's a sign of what we need to be focusing on in, in the design and supply of our um, construction products, then you know, definitely one to follow. Yes, yeah, so I think the, the, you know, the build to rent trend um, is, is definitely growing. I'm just seeing you know, so many stories now of large scale uh, dedicated uh, you know, developments for rental uh, going up, particularly in, in London, Birmingham, Manchester, um, I noticed, um, which makes sense because it's, there's most uh, demand in those major cities. So I think I see, I agree with you. I think there's a trend there. I also agree with you about the uh, importance of technology and good, good you know, connections like broadband and 3G. Um, funny enough, I did, did want to actually quickly ask you about students because um, obviously a lot of landlords will have student accommodation, but I've I've seen there's a lot of uh, improvement in built for you know built for purpose student accommodation, and I'm wondering whether that's actually something of a threat to your classic terraced house, which you know has got a bunch of students uh, crammed into it. Um, and you know, I think students uh, do want you know, and expect now better standard of accommodation and as you quite rightly say, uh, good connectivity when they get it. So um, do you agree? Do you think the student market is going to have a shift as well away from the, you know, the young, uh, the young ones and all that? <laughs> uh, there's definitely a lot of student accommodation uh, development going on um, throughout the UK. Uh, you know, there is a, it does appear to be a growing market. I'm not sure whether that's because there's a change in what uh, the customer need is or just because, again, the, the supply um, doesn't quite match the demand. 
Um, but it, perhaps something to consider and to take away is that as much as the student accommodation market has been growing over the years, the demand for assisted living and kind of senior living accommodation is currently three times the bigger market going at. So if that's something to consider in terms of your next uh, project that you get off the ground, it can be all helped. Yeah, I think with more time, I'd love to explore that, you know, assisted living, co-living, how we change, you know, using property um, generally or uh, for our needs, uh, micro living, etc. There's lots of things I could really talk to you about. I'm unconscious you need to, to get off to uh, another appointment. So uh, perhaps another day. But um, I really appreciate you you coming and sharing what you have today, Matt. It's been, it's been interesting. And you took me in some different directions I wasn't fully expecting. So that's been <laughs> very handy. Um, probably, uh, I, I don't know if it's relevant or pertinent, but uh, if people would like to connect with you, is there, is there a way in which they can reach you? Or is there anything, you know, you mentioned the, the 12 uh, technological innovations, for example. Are there any things you want to reference people towards that they could uh, find if they want the extra resources? Yep, so a lot of the information I've discussed today is on the MACE website, which is www.macegroup.com. Um, I've got a personal account on Twitter, which is uh, at Matt2TEverything. Um, and then obviously LinkedIn is a great source for keeping up to date with all of these advances in prop tech, construction tech, and any other tech. Look forward to hearing from you. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure that, that goes in the show notes, all those connections as well. But uh, I'll cool. let you get off now. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Matt, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. Good to talk to you. You too. Take care. Well, Matt struck me as someone with his ear to the ground, but his eyes fixed on the horizon in terms of his awareness of the here and now and the upcoming trends that he sees from his vantage point in one of the UK's top 10 contractors. Here are some of the key themes that arose throughout our discussion. Number one, Big Brother is watching. (laughs) By this I mean the government is interested in increasing productivity, which means not only is uh, R&D or research and development money available, but policy changes will also start to take place to encourage greater adoption of technology in construction. Besides matched funding being available for SMEs or small developers in our case, the manufacturing of construction agenda will no doubt encourage wider adoption of new building technologies than we have seen certainly in the last couple of decades at least. Secondly, not just quantity, but style. So not only do we have a housing shortage, which of course is well publicised, as we continue to build around half or even less of the approximate 250,000 new homes we need each year, but in addition, as Matt outlined, something like 75% of the public don't really want the type of homes that we're building currently either. And this suggests not only do we need to utilize new technologies like factory, uh, sorry, factory built prefabrication and modular building technologies to build more homes more quickly, but we also need to grow um, and allow a greater adoption of customization uh, along with those new houses at the same time. So two kind of emerging trends in one there, uh, quantity and style. Thirdly, from supply push, to client pull. 
In the past, we have bought and lived in homes that the large developers have chosen to build for us. But in the future, we are starting to see more influence of, on the type of homes we see built. For example, government bodies are now specifying how they would like to see homes constructed. Not just how many units they are built, or even if they are affordable, but also in terms of the style of those houses. In addition, some of the developers have set up factories now to capitalise on the manufacturing of construction or prefabrication trend. Fourth, skill sets and suppliers in the construction industry are starting to shift. As already mentioned, we will see something like a 25% loss of the existing skilled workforce over the next 10 years. But at the same time, we'll also see a shift from the bricky, chippy and sparky towards technician, programmer and engineer. And then if we consider the fact that Google, Microsoft and Facebook are now not only building houses but also small communities, plus along with the advances in last mile deliveries from Amazon, this will all change the way uh, materials are delivered to site and also what you know we can see, we can see a greater use and adoption of technology in the building and construction industry generally and this is all coming from less familiar or traditional sources future ready and the here and now is the fifth point larger developers and contra uh, contractors rather are not only looking for the trends that are coming up but they're starting to deploy them as well Consider what Matt said about developers already deploying some of the newer technologies. For example, building factories for prefabricated units, looking at modular design techniques for how to improve wiring and cabling installation, and the adoption of 3D and digital design, along with augmented and virtual reality, to improve not only design, but also the end-to-end -end communication and planning of the construction process. However, some technologies might have a way to go yet, such as on-site robots laying bricks. In terms of building materials, bioscience advances has led to some very interesting new breakthroughs in materials such as graphene, but won't necessarily be deployed overnight. However, advances in, as what Matt referred to as self-healing concrete, perhaps offer more of an evolution of an existing material that could be adopted more rapidly and more readily than, we've, uh, than we, see, we might see with some of those newer technologies. My sixth point is small developers could be more agile. Small can mean less bureaucracy and delay in the adoption of new technologies, so there is a chance for what Matt referred to as first mover advantage. However, some of these technologies are still first or second generation, and so we'll likely see improvements in cost reduction in some respects that could perhaps remove some of the advantages of getting to market first at the same time. And that could be quite a costly exercise for a small developer. However, it does appear that some smaller developers could learn a thing or two from what the smart money is doing, and prefabrication or modular certainly seems to be one of them. Finally, design and build trends. Towards the end of the conversation, we talked about more build to rent for the private sector, more use of high-speed data connections in housing generally, but especially in the student market, which is actually a, a subset of the millennial generation, um, which are going to demand you know, greater use of technology in, in their homes and where, they, where they're staying. 
but we'll also start to see some greater use of assisted living and co-living with just some of the schemes that were signposted towards the end of our discussion, which we, we kind of really didn't have time to explore, which I, I, I regret. We, I wish we could have talked about it a bit more in, in a bit more detail, but just a few signposts there about some future design and build trends. So there you go. That's a summary, if you like, that I, I detected, certainly, from the discussion I had with Matt. And if you'd like to get in touch with Matt, perhaps uh, to ask him about those 12 technological innovations that he mentioned, or to hear more about the MACE Group and their projects, you can connect. Uh, the website is uh, macegroup.com. But if you want to connect with Matt personally, he has a Twitter account, which is at Matt Everything, or indeed his LinkedIn profile that he said he was happy to connect as well. And all of those links are going to be in the show notes. So just pop over there and, and uh, pay a visit, which indeed you can find as usual at thepropertyvoice.net. Before I go today, I just also wanted to mention that I am holding a, uh, a social networking, a property social networking evening on Wednesday, the 21st of February. It's going to be London King's Cross. It's going to be a working dinner, if you like, a kind of a mastermind approach. So if you'd like to come along to that, meet me and meet some of my community, uh, bring your own uh, property challenges and uh, we'll, we'll try and mastermind those and find a solution or a challenge uh, whilst we uh, have a bit of fun, we'll have a bite to eat and uh, a few drinks as well at the same time. So that's Wednesday, the 21st of February. The uh, the event details are going to be in the show notes. It'd be great to see some of you come out, actually, and uh, if you can make it. I know it's a school night, but uh, I'll be in London and it'd be lovely to meet some of you in person if you could make it at all. Well, if you want to talk about anything from, from today's show, uh, receive a, an introduction to any of the guests I've had on this series, or just talk about anything to do with property investing more generally, you can email me, as always, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and I'd be very happy to hear from you. But for now, once again, all I want to say is thank you very much for listening this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.